Just as we get started this morning, uh, a couple of things that I want to, uh, to address uh, just before we, we begin. Uh, for those of you who are relatively new to our, to our family, I want to say uh, again, echo my welcome to you. So glad to be able to worship with you today. Uh, and as Chris has already said, uh, there's lots of reasons to attend church. Among those two reasons, uh, some may be asking specific questions about brokenness or issues in their life or looking for help, uh, healing, wholeness, those sorts of things. And, uh, and certainly our church uh, validates, values those things, and we want to be that for, for you. Uh, we would love, I would, I would say I would love to engage in relationship uh, to be able to see what, what our church can do to minister to you. Secondly, uh, church is a great place uh, to be able to join in with other brothers and sisters and grow together and serve together. So you may be, you may be ready to get, to get going. And I would say at Connect Church, one of our responsibilities is to equip the saints through the work of ministry. And so what we want to do is to help you identify what it is that God's calling you to do and to be able to help, to help you, to come alongside of you to do that. So uh, if you're here and you need something, uh, we, we, want to, uh, we want to gut that out with you, whatever it may be. And we love you and we're for you. And if you're here to help us help others, well, I'm so glad that you're here to help. We've been waiting on you for a really long time. Uh, and so I, at any rate, I really hope that you feel at home here. The second thing that I want to say about that is uh, I, today's that sermon day that I intentionally have not told you about. Uh, and and I, some of you already know what it is. Because I usually talk about it this way. Uh, I don't talk about giving very often. Uh, and, and so one of the reasons that I don't is because of the stereotypical, that's all they talk about at church is giving. And, uh, and I just want you to know, if you've been here very long, you know that's not true of me. I'll go years and not talk about giving. And, uh, and that's not fair, honestly. It's because of my insecurity, not because of my pride that that is true. My insecurity is, I know you don't want to hear it. I know nobody wants, you know, nobody says, you know what, that was the best sermon on giving. I think I'm going to start going to that church. Nobody says that. I recognize that. So if you're relatively new, just know, I didn't know that you were here over the last couple of months and all of a sudden I'm trying this. Uh, but, but there are specific reasons of why I have waited. And to neglect talking about giving is to neglect a great deal of the Scripture uh, and many of the promises of Scripture. And so uh, I don't say that I don't talk about giving as a moniker of greatness. I say it uh, to my own uh, uh, deficit. Uh, and I, I actually need to talk about it more often because I am a practitioner of that. Uh, my wife and I, there's never been a time in our relationship. We both were tithing before uh, we were married, and, uh, and we'll talk about that maybe a little, bit, uh, a little bit later, but we've never not given. So I'm just saying to you, um, um, trying to take my own medicine, that I'm telling you that there is blessings to the giver, and we continually live in that. And I also will say this as a final, as a final uh, pre-statement. People who give love messages on giving because they're reminded of the blessings. People who don't, don't. So I'm going to kind of read your faces this morning a little bit. No, I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding a little bit. Uh, <clears throat> all right. So first things first, God is a giver. And as he gives us himself, 
uh, we begin to become like him and we develop generous hearts as well. And so as our spirit is renewed, uh, not renewed, as it is re- rebirthed and we become living, then that, that, that generosity of Jesus begins to spread over into every facet of our lives. And so when we think about generosity, it's easy for us to, to be generous with grace or to expect generosity of grace from others or, or mercy or maybe to, maybe to say that we're generous with forgiveness or we expect others to be generous with forgiveness. Even at times, we can talk about the generosity of our time and always being available and of our, of our energy when we serve and we don't want to. And it's easy to talk about generosity in a lot of areas of life, but when it comes to our finances, there's a little bit of tension created. I don't know if you've ever noticed it or not, uh, but there's always a little bit of tension when we talk about money. And maybe you've not noticed it. But there is a a hesitancy to talk about money at church or with Christians because of the, uh, uh, the defense or the excuses or the tension that it creates. But God is very, very clear in his word. And again, I don't talk about money often, but the scripture does. And so over the past couple of years, there have been uh, concern about finances. And yes, that's a, that's a nod to COVID because nobody knows what's going to come. Nobody knows how their, how their own jobs or how their own income is going to be managed. Nobody, so we've, we've taken extra precaution and we've, we've examined so many things as a church to try to be, to be good stewards and God continues to bless. But, uh, but there's been a lot of concern about it, uh, even, even over church finances. So for the last two years... I have found myself having to encourage giving uh, because of the inconsistency of giving. And there's been inconsistent giving because there's inconsistent attendance. And I get a lot of that. Really, this is not meant to, to be, I don't, none of this is meant to be negative at all. So if you're reading that, I am misrepresenting. Uh, but you know we we had we've shifted from the habits of passing passing the offering plates and receiving tithes and offerings have been difficult and oftentimes people that that were regular givers have have been slower to come back into church and 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 people have dropped off uh, their their uh, their their gift uh, throughout the week maybe or not and it's just been a lot of inconsistency and so as we ended year one there was a great deal of concern about what next year's budget was going to look like. As we ended year two, there was even greater concern of what the church's budget was going to look like. Now, again, I won't get, I'm not going to get into a whole lot of philosophy today, but when I say the church's budget, I'm not talking about keeping the lights open and keeping people employed. I'm talking about planting churches around the world. I'm talking about our local partners out in the community and doing the things that, that our church uh, feels like we have been called to do. And sometimes we scratch our head and say, you know, what, what, what is God calling us to do? And so we've had several times in the past couple of years that we didn't know uh, how to even watch the trend as we planned our budgets. So this past year, we were looking incredibly low as we budgeted for this year. And then December happened, and, uh, you know, we, we received a, a lot uh, in the month of December, and, and I, I don't say that kind of ugly. I say that as a blessing. But when you begin to plan and budget, you can't, I mean, you don't do that in your own home and say, well, let's, 
let's, we'll just hope that we make it all up in one month. I mean, you have, to, you have to live. And so the goal isn't just to catch up. The goal is to be consistent uh, as, as a giver. And so I, I don't want to dig, digress into all of that. But uh, over the month of November and December, the last couple of years, I've had to make mention of, hey, make sure you remember this. And if you're thinking about it, because there are certain responsibilities that we want to be able to keep uh, as, as a church. Now, I say all that to say this, the encouragement has either worked or it's been uh, ironic because both years our church continues to do what it says it's going to do. And so we were able to end last year excellently, just like we were the year before, excellently. And so this year's budget is actually incredibly low compared to what we expect. I say all of that just simply to say this. Uh, our giving right now, since December, this is not really a sermon, but it's important for you to know. Uh, we, have made, we have made budget, over budget, every week since Christmas. Okay, so I, I say that to say we've not done that in over two years, but we're doing that now. I didn't want to preach a sermon on giving when we're not doing that. So I wanted you to understand my heart is, I want to say thank you for giving consistently, regularly, so that when we make decisions, we can do that with faith, but also with some sight, because that's really important too, right? Money does, uh, does matter. So, so thank you. But here are a few rules while giving is good that I want to be able to give. Giving, and you can write this down if you want, it's not really a part of the sermon, but giving should not follow budgets, Okay? Uh, budgets are man-made ideas. Giving shouldn't follow that. We should never say at the end of the year, here's how much money I have. What can I do with this? That's not how it should work. We're, as a church, never going to operate that way, okay? How it should work, though, is it should say, we should be able to say, what has God called us to do, Okay? Very important. What has God called us to do? Just like he did the children of Israel when he brought them out of Egypt and he put everything he expected into their pockets from Egypt. So, when we budget every year, I don't want to reach out last year's hand and say, what can we get? We should be able to say, what is God calling us to do? Which means that as a church body, we should know what God is calling us to as a church to do. That's not left up to the pastor or a finance committee or a group of leaders. We all ought to be able, because this is the ministry that God has given us collectively, we all ought to be able to know and to be passionate for the vision that God has given to us because we share that collectively. So that's the Old Testament model. That's also the New Testament model. So know, knowing that giving has a goal. Giving has a goal. It's not a responsibility. It's not an obligation. It's not a law. It's not a fine. It's not a fee. It, is a, it, is a, it has a goal. It's, it's, not a, it's not a responsibility. Giving is a gift. Giving doesn't reveal the heart of the receiver. Giving, it, re, it reveals the heart of the giver. So today I want to talk about giving. giving, giving specifically to connect church and also giving to God. So I want to begin by saying this, 
Can you say after eight minutes, can you say I want to begin by something? Uh, I don't know, but I'm, I'm going to try that. <clears throat> we are, as a church, completely dependent of tithes and free will offerings. You know, churches don't make money, uh, and so we're not, we're not in a business. Uh, we are 100% dependent upon tithes and free will offerings. It's supposed to be that way, I believe. Uh, five and a quarter percent of our budget is devoted to global missions. So we proportion out uh, other percentages for Welch College, our, our, our school, uh, for our local association that we belong to, for our state ministries and state works, for our local benevolent partners that we support financially. You know, we proportion out of that, but specifically five and a quarter percent goes to global, global outreach. And so as a church, we're trying to model giving, but we don't want to limit that. So the Bible talks about God blessing the tithe, but he actually multiplies the offering. So we always want to encourage regular undesignated giving to our general fund. That's how you, that's how you give tithes and offerings is undesignated giving to the general fund that helps us to do so much. But we also want to encourage you, in addition to that, to find those things that God has called you to and give offerings directly to that. I don't have time today to go through all of those things might could be, but from time to time, we'll have uh, missionaries or partners come through that, that we give through that particular budget, and, uh, and we also depend on additional free will offerings to help supplement our global partners. So for instance, our five and a quarter general budget produces about 50% of our global outreach budget. So we're dependent upon pledges and to keep those pledges so that we can make up the other 50% and that you are free to give to whatever it might be that you're passionate about from these free will offerings. In fact, today when you leave, we're going to hand you a pledge card for that particular uh, global outreach uh, missions fund. And I want, to, I want to ask you to pray over that for the next couple of weeks. So I'm going to go ahead and let you know that, that's, that that is uh, coming at the end of the service because I don't want you to feel like this is entirely a commercial because it's not. Uh, but most of everything that I say today is going to generate more questions than answers. Uh, and so it, if it does generate questions about your particular place, your particular uh, scenario in your life, then I would love to engage in that kind of conversation and see what, uh, you know, what, what help we can be able to give. And because I say all of that to say this, I've, I've, I've already talked for 10 minutes about this, the hard part's out of the way. So I want to, I want, I want, it's very important for you to know this. I say all of this, not because it's easy for me to talk about, but because there are some specific promises and blessings to those who contribute to God's passion, to God's vision for his people. And God has mandated our church to be here in the River Valley. And I believe that God has called us to collectively come together and to resource his vision that he has given us. So I want to first suggest just a couple of reasons why I think the, the subject is so important. Uh, it's, it's important to talk about because there is a ton of confusion about church giving and, uh, and, and typically, I try, to make, I try to make things look really, really polished. And, and if it's not obvious by now, it ought to be that, uh, that this isn't a polished speech about this. I'm trying to be really, really real about some really real things and to be really personal about them. 
so there, there is a lot of confusion about how and when and who and what and all of those things about church giving. And not, not just, I'm not talking about at our church at all. I feel like we've got a great deal of unity as a church. Just talking about in gen, generalized speaking. Uh, so they bring up lots and lots of questions, and I won't get into a lot of those. Uh, I also realize it's important for us to know the current trends around the world. Now, uh, for those of you who want to know, does, does, does Blaine know how much I give? Uh, I, I could. I don't want to, and so I don't. Uh, I, don't uh, I don't think that that's important for me to know because I can preach sermons like this and not worry about whose eyes I, I meet. Uh, I don't know who gives what, and I don't know who gives when, and I, and I, and I kind of like it that way uh, because I can, I can be just really, really honest and not, and not wonder what my heart is, is doing. But I realize that there are some who give way over 10%. They've, they've caught the idea that God blesses generosity. Others, I know, don't give at all. So overall in the U.S., the average is 17% of Christians give anything at all. 17% of Christians give anything at all. And on average, 2 to 3% is all that that 17% give. What I'm saying is that giving is abysmal. If it is a law, if it is a requirement or a responsibility, we are not doing well. And I would also say this, if you were to look at our church and compare that to national statistics, we would, uh, we would be very much encouraged. So again, I'm not saying any of this to beat us up. I'm saying we're, we're probably way ahead of the national averages. So even while giving is down in America, God's truth remains the same. His promises never fade with our disobedience. Now they may not be received, but but God does not grade on the curve. He does not change his expectations simply because we have changed the culture. So it's your money that, that we're talking about. It's my money that we're talking about. And if tithing is a biblical concept that Christians should follow, then we need to be able to see it for ourselves and not just believe it because I tell you so. So let's go to the Word and let's see what the Scripture itself has to say. And, and I also would say this. If at any time you have any questions about any of that stuff, uh, what, what the budget's doing or any of that, we want to be an open book uh, to that. And there is a great deal of accountability that comes with that as well. So let's begin with the definition. Let's begin. I don't think I can say let's begin because I'm about halfway. I'm about halfway done, okay? Uh, that's not true either. Uh, but uh, Tithing actually comes from the Hebrew word a tenth. So 10%. Uh, and so that's, that's what the Lord, when you, when you read the, in the Old Testament uh, a tithe, he's talking about 10% of anything. And in the Old Testament, there were three tithes that are mentioned. There is the Levitical uh, tithe that took care of uh, administration. It's uh, num uh, Numbers chapter 18, uh, verse 21 and 24. And then the second tithe would be the, the tithe of feasts. That's where we give 
of, of all of our material blessings. And then, and then there's the tithe for the poor, which is uh, more of a benevolent tithe as well. So a tithe was more than just giving one-tenth of money or writing a check or making a, a debit. If you had 10 cows, you gave one out of 10 to God. If you had 10, a 10-pound 10 sack or a, a 10 pounds of grain, one of those pounds belongs to God as a tithe before God. So the definition of tithe is one-tenth of anything. Uh, so now turn over to uh, Genesis chapter 14. This is the story of Abraham. It's the origin story of tithing. Genesis chapter 14, uh, Abraham is coming back from war where he goes and he takes, you know, uh, Kedilomer and uh, all of the, the four kings and uh, he's bloodied and bruised and just vicious battle and he wins. Uh, he's coming back home with the spoils of war, slaves he had captured, soldiers he had taken into captivity, foodstuffs that he had gathered, uh, the grain, the wine, the oil with the cattle and the sheep and all, all the spoils of war. Abraham was making his way back home uh, as, this, uh, as this victorious general. And on his way back home, he runs into this unknown Melchizedek. Uh, let's look at verse 18. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Uh, he was priest of God most high. And so he blessed him and he said, Blessed be Abraham by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. Now, if you know biblical theology at all, you know that Melchizedek appears in the Old Testament in two places. Here and also in Psalm 110. He shows up again in the New Testament in the book of Hebrews. And it's clear in the, uh, in the book of Hebrews that Melchizedek in the Old Testament is a Jesus type or even pre-incarnate Christ himself making an appearance. But one of the only things that we know about him is he is king and he is also priest of Salem. Uh, Salem meaning shalom or the king and the priest of peace. And, he, and it's one of the reasons why, you know, David sets up the kingdom in New Salem, Jerusalem. He hosts as a king, as a, as, a, as a wealthy benefactor here to Abraham. But he also blesses him as a priest. He blesses Abraham and then he blesses God. And Abraham responds in verse 20, and Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. That meant a tenth of everything that he had taken. Now, here we're talking about voluntary tithing. Why did Abraham do that? We have never seen this before. It's not in the scriptures up until now. But he did it as an act of submission to God whom Melchizedek represented. Who told Abraham to do that? He didn't have to be told. It was, it was a natural thing for Abraham to do. It was a result of discipline and an act of love and righteousness. It wasn't commanded. It became natural to give to the one who blesses. In, Abraham, in essence, Abraham is saying, by giving you this, I am implicitly admitting that the victory that I just experienced was not mine. Victory comes from the Lord alone. 
And it's significant that the first time that we see tithing, it's not tied up with the Mosaic law that so many times we want to point to. It's not a legal issue at all here. It's voluntary. Let's go to Leviticus chapter 27. This is 400 years later. And we're in the Mosaic law now for sure. Leviticus 20, I'm 27 rather, we're going to begin reading in verse 30. Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. If a man wishes to redeem some of his tithe, he shall add a fifth to it. Now let me just stop there for a moment and say this. Um, it's, it's important to, to uh, explain this. As a part of the law, the responsibility and the obligation was to bring in a tenth. If something were to happen and you decided that you weren't going to bring in a tenth, you could redeem your tithe. To redeem your tithe would be to, you know what, I'm only going to do 5% this time. And, and there's apparent, apparently an allowance for only doing 5%. But what you have to do is when you get back to paying it up, uh, you, can buy your, you can buy your tithe back, but you have to add 20% to it. So, you know, 20% is, uh, you know, 10% is bad enough, but you start adding 20% to it. You see, the Lord, the Lord expects uh, things to be on time. And if your ox is in the ditch, you don't have to make it up. But it comes as a, at a cost, as, at a penalty. Now, it's not, it's not 20% on top of the whole amount. It's, it's 20% of the difference. So if you, if you tithe 5% and, and you don't tithe 5%, then it's only 20% on the 5%. You guys are looking at me like, who really cares? This is not math class. But it's important Here's why it's important. Who cares about the money? That's not the important part. The important part is the, is the expectation and the character and nature of the God who is giving the law here. You get a real good, clear picture of his expectations. And that's what I want us to understand. Verse 32, and every tithe of herds and flock, every tenth animal... Of all that passes under the herdsman's staff shall be holy to the Lord. One shall not differentiate between good or bad, neither shall he make a substitute for it. And if he does substitute for it, then both it and the substitute shall be holy. It shall not be redeemed. So, you know, you got these cattle going underneath the herdsman's staff, and he's counting one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine gods. One, two, three, four. So this is how it works. And you don't get to determine that that skanky-looking cattle is the tenth one every time. You, if you do that, then you've lost the best one and the worst one, and you can't redeem it back. So make no substitutions on that one. Verse 34. These are the commandments of the Lord that the Lord commanded Moses for the people of Israel on, on Sinai. So I want you to notice two things about this. Genesis 14, not the law. Leviticus 27, the law. The second thing is that the tithe in the Old Testament was to encompass everything, not just an offering on Sundays or whatever you have in your pocket. Everything a person possesses. It doesn't just include a check or a money or a bank draft. It includes livestock, cows, sheep, wine, oil, grain, fruit, everything. A tithe was to be given back to God for everything. Now let's shoot over to Deuteronomy chapter 14. 
Deuteronomy 14, now we're 40 more years down the road. The children of Israel stand on the banks of the Jordan River. Moses is just about to die, and just before he does, he, uh, he gives one final message to the people of God. And this is what he says in Deuteronomy 14, verse 22 through 23. You shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the place year by year. And before the Lord your God, in the place that you will choose to make his name dwell there, you shall eat the tithe of your grain, your wine, your oil, the firstborn of your herd and flock. Listen, here's the point. That you may learn to fear the Lord your God. This last phrase reveals the whole purpose of tithing to begin with. That you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. Ultimately, that is the purpose of a tithe. It's not a legalistic regulation. It's more than an Old Testament income tax. It had a very, very special purpose asking for the tenth. It was to teach God's people that he should always come first. Now, here's, here's what I've learned about, about God and about me. I, I, have, I have learned that I can't forget about God. I've also learned that I can forget that he comes first. It's an easy thing for Christians to forget. I wish that there were like a, a lock pin that could go in. It's like, okay, I'll never forget that now. But this is the one thing, the one thing that keeps pushing us into idolatry. It keeps pushing us into humanism. Is it's not that we don't believe in God anymore. It's that we fail to put him first in everything. And so the law of the tithe was to teach Israel that God should come first in everything. And not just at the synagogue or the temple or the tabernacle on Sabbath morning. But in every day, God gets, the, God gets it. God gets his first. Not just God is included. God gets his first. Because his is the most important. And so when God sets that as a law for Israel, you notice when Israel fails to tithe, Israel falls into idolatry because they were failing to keep God first. It's so important. And listen, I know we mean well. We give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. And well, I give something and yeah, God's important to me and all that. But I'm telling you, if you invest financially into the vision and to the mission of God, I'm telling you, it will change the questions that you ask about ministry, about yourself, about your neighbors. It'll change because you get invested at a different place. And now all of a sudden, it's not where I go on Sunday. It's how I pray for neighbors throughout the week because I can't forget that God comes first when I'm talking to my spouse. I can't forget that God comes first because I'm reminded everywhere I look that God comes first. Most Christians have never learned this very Basic, simple secret to giving. And so giving becomes a drudgery. It becomes an obligation. It becomes a responsibility. And when our heart misses the point, then our spirit will miss the blessing. Now, Malachi chapter 3. We move to the very end of the Old Testament. We're a thousand years down the road now. So listen as God speaks to his disobedient people. Malachi chapter 3, I'm going to begin reading in verse 8. 
Will man rob God, yet you are robbing me? But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. There are three things that I want us to notice in this passage. First, there is a warning to the people of God. You are robbing God. I, I told you to give me a tithe and you are robbing me because you are consuming it all for yourself. Therefore, you are receiving a curse. Now, it's really interesting. God is saying, I cursed you because you're not putting me first, but, but they have to be told they're on, under the curse. They have to be told that they're being cursed because they're not aware of it. For them, it's just... Nuisance after nuisance after nuisance. Have you ever had that? I'm not accusing you of not tithing because I, I don't know. But have you ever just had like just one thing after the other and you're like, what in the world? And it's really easy to neglect until you go back and look. It's like a, it's a transmission. It's a refrigerator. It's a dishwasher. It's a hole in the ceiling. It's a... It starts piling up. Again, it's really hard, it's really hard to say, well, that's a result of not tithing because that happens to people who tithe too. But what the Lord does do here is he promises that he's going to rebuke the devourer, the thing that keeps gnawing away. You're trying to keep more for your, for your uh, independence, and yet the Lord is bringing things into your life to nibble it away. You may not give it to me, but you ain't going to keep it. That's what the Lord is saying. There's a curse. It's intentional. You may not give it to me, but you don't get it. And when you don't get it enough, maybe you'll reconsider, and then the blessings can be back to you. Second, there is a, a, a challenge issue here. Nowhere else in Scripture does God levy a challenge quite like this. Put me to the test. You, you, you need to make a choice. If you're going to try to live according to your own income or... Do you want to live under an open heaven? And thirdly, there's the purpose revealed that there may be food in my house. That's the secondary purpose of the tithe in the Old Testament, that God's house might be fully supplied so that it can give collectively. You know, God is calling us from fierce independence into a shared community. And no, I'm not a socialist. But here, everyone is working hard and everyone is sharing equally. That's why there is a percentage attached to it instead of a dollar amount. But we can all add to the storehouse in equal proportions and be a blessing. But when you give an obedience, you become a blessing as a result of being a blessing. You're, the, the, the blessing comes to you and then the blessing can flow through you. God, what God is saying here, I mean, the one who established economy to begin with is you're robbing me in order to get more, but because you're robbing me, you're ending up with less. So the great 
three purposes of giving in the Old Testament is to glorify God for supplying victory, to teach us perpetually that God is first in everything, and and it's not a lesson we learn, it's a, it's a constant lesson that we, that we forget. And, and tithing is a great way, or giving is, is always a great way to remember. So let me just do some really quick math. If, if uh, it, according to the tithe, if you make $45,000 a year, how much belongs to God? All of it. it but, you don't, but you don't know that. If you're not giving it, you think really that, well, God gets what he wants. You know, God will take what he wants. Uh, no, every, everything we have belongs to the Lord. And we are best reminded of that when we give to him. It's not because God needs it. Third, to ensure that God's glory is seen way beyond his people. All right, almost finished. We're going to shoot now from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And the first place that I want to stop is in Romans chapter 2, verse 22. And you don't have to turn there if you, if you don't want, but you write it down and go back and check. But he talks, he's rhetorical. Paul's giving rhetorical questions. It says, hey, you, you're talking all the time about not giving, uh, not committing adultery, and you're committing adultery. And he even says, you're, you're all the time talking about abhorring idols, and yet you're committing sacrilege. Or stealing from temples. It's a really kind of an odd phrase, but what he is saying is to the church, is you say you're against idols, but you're not giving to the church so that you're actually creating idols yourself. He's rebuking them for not giving. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, it contains the most concise teaching on this. In verse 1, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. This isn't just for this church. He is saying the pattern for all the churches. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put aside something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. Now, this is a very, very clear New Testament teaching, three things. That, that first is, giving is to be regular on the first day of the week. Now, I want to stop again here and be real, real practical. Uh, this was a big deal for the early church because they worshiped together every week. They would get together and sing their songs and open up the word and they would uh, pray together and they would contribute to their neighbor in their neighborhoods together and they were looking for opportunities to, to, be, to be the church. Uh, and in our day of upward mobility, uh, we're together less and less. And so uh, oftentimes there are folks who are givers and they look for ways to make sure that they are represented each week others just say well i'll just catch up later and others yet just may contribute when the plate passes by and if they're not here it's not even another thought and i get i i get all of that and i'm not asking you for a show of hands what i am saying is here paul is saying that there is to be a collection every week and even if you miss the collection you should be represented in that collection so Paul's going to come, and he's going to be asking for some money for some folks. But when I get there, I don't want you to be taking up a special offering. 
the money should already be there. So get into the habit of setting it aside so that when we get there, we don't have to make a big deal out of it. It's just a regular habit. And when I'm not there, you're able to do this with your uh, neighbors and to be able to provide for yourself. Not only that, but he says it's, it's to be personal. Well, let me, let me stop for a second and say this. So let me, let me encourage you. Back two years ago when churches weren't meeting anymore, there was a great concern of what, what's that going to look like long term. If churches aren't meeting, how are we going to ex- experience the ability to, to fund ourselves? And so, you know, us, like everybody else, gets pretty creative and know what that's going to look like. And, and it worked pretty well. Uh, but what, what, again, I even hate to say this because... It works on both sides. But church growth people say that, that churches should be in the neighborhood. And I know, get ready, okay? Churches should be in the neighborhood of about 60% of their giving should come in from online. Okay? And I know, I don't trust online. I get it. I don't really, but I hear it. I hear it. But the world has changed, all right? The day of ripping out checks at worship is not a thing anymore. I won't get into all the stats, but there is a whole generation of people who don't know what a check is. Now, let me say this. Let me say this. Some of you are snickering. Uh, Let me say this, all right? There's nothing holy about a check. The goal is to receive the blessing and the favor of God, amen? I think churches should make it easy for people to receive the blessing of God in their giving. So whatever we can do as a church to make it easy for you to be obedient, that's what we want to try to do. Now, that doesn't mean that it shouldn't be thoughtful, but it does mean that we're, we always work, constantly working of, on how can we make this streamlined, easier, with security, encrypted security. How can we make sure that we're encouraging people to do something that we ourselves would do? Now, again, with new technology comes fees and fines and percentages and all that kind of stuff. And so some of you are already giving online, and thank you for that. And we know you have to incur costs when you do it. Or, or the church incurs costs when you do it. And we understand that too. But we are constantly looking for the best platform to be able to receive the best return on investment. Because, because we believe in it so much. If we didn't, we wouldn't care. And so just recently, there's our, our, some of our uh, partners have come out with better technology. And uh, if you want to begin to give online, I would encourage you to do that. And then you don't have to write checks. And if you're not here, you're still able to receive the blessing of God. And the church and our partners are still be able to meet its budget. So let me encourage you. Uh, if you're already given that way, let me encourage you to let us help you shift over to this other one. You can find it at connectionpoint.info. Now, that really does sound like a commercial, and I, I don't even like where this sermon is right now. So just so you know, just so you know, it's just I don't know when else to do it. We're just not together very often anymore. I don't know when else to talk about it. Uh, and so this is, the, this is the time to talk about it. Uh, but if you, would, if you would be willing to shift uh, now, one of, the, one of the, the, the platform that we're using will actually help you online set up a bank draft so that there are no online charges at all. And we love that as an option because then you get to give 100% and the church gets to receive 100% of your gift. So if you want questions about walking through that, we would love to help you walk through that. So it is to be regular, punctual, it's also to be personal. Paul said, let each one of you, every one can contribute. The ones who had and the ones who didn't have. And I won't get into all of that, but 
Giving is to be personal. Let each one of you, and third, it is to be proportional. Let him set aside some of money in keeping with his income. So obviously this is associated with a percentage. Paul is simply saying that if they aren't careful, they will have to take constant collections to meet every need. But if they receive a weekly offering, they'll be able to meet needs with that. Okay, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I told you I was going to be everywhere. So Malachi chapter 3, God said, put me to the test and see if I won't open up the windows of heaven. So here's what Paul told the church at Corinth sometime later. This is in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. And the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And you cannot be cheerful under a command. You can't be cheerful under an obligation or under the law. So the Lord loves for us to give. And when our giving is not compulsory and our giving is able to be voluntary, which is the way Abraham's was with Melchizedek, then we're able to give cheerfully with expectation. I mean, that's fairly clear, right? You sow a little, you reap a little. You sow a lot, you reap a lot. Now look at verse 8. Stay there in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8. And God is able to make, what is it? All grace abound to you so that having, what is it? All sufficiency in all things at all times, you may be able to abound in every good work. I love the concepts here and all of the alls that, that, that Paul uses. But if you drop down to verse 10, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which you will be able to produce which through us will produce thanksgiving to God for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgiving to God. Sounds like Malachi chapter 3. So surely no Christian would want to give less under grace than the Jews gave under the law. Now, if you go back one chapter... Paul is writing again to the church at Corinth. Uh, he's helping them see their, the, the importance of them sending an offering to Jerusalem. And he's talking about the generosity of the churches of Macedonia, verse 1. Look at verse 2. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. How much money did they send? I don't know. We'll never know. They're extremely poor, but rich generosity. Generosity isn't about amounts of money. Generosity is about ability. Overflowing joy plus extreme poverty equals rich generosity. Listen, this is a a very true statement. People don't give when they have more money. I know everybody thinks if I just had more money, I'd give more. It's not true, okay? It's a myth that we keep telling ourselves. It's not true. 
People do not give because they have more money. They start giving when they have more joy. And you cannot have joy by looking at the things of the world. That's why it's so important to give so that you can see God first in all things. And when you see God first, you'll have joy. Verse 3 says they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability. Verse 4 says that they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. Can you imagine? Usually it's the missionary getting up saying, please, 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 please help us start a church. Please give us money. We're 50% there. We're 60% there. Please. And I envision a day where the church of Jesus Christ says, please let us contribute to this. I want to be a part. I want to be an investor in what God is doing around the world. Please let us help our brothers and sisters. Now we got enough. Well, then you should have come here sooner because we want to be able to be a help financially. Wouldn't that be a great world to live in for the church to, to want to contribute instead of having to be begged to contribute? I notice in this chapter, the word grace is used so many times, specifically in verse 7. He talks about the grace of giving. The grace of giving. Not learning how to give grace, but that giving itself is a, is a grace. So Paul is basically challenging believers to take the next step in their quest to become better givers, recognizing that each one of us is going to give differently because we've been blessed differently. And I know we've been all over the place, and I've talked about a lot of different things, and I know that where our thoughts are right now, we're not on a united front. And I, I really do understand that. But at some point, there has to be a place where we can, we can process together in, in groups and, in, and in, our, in our conversations with how does this look. And, you know, so this hopefully just gives us the opportunity to, to start the conversations of what it, of what it looks like, and and as a beneficiary of our offerings, it's it you got, you have to recognize how difficult it is for me to talk about it, uh, and so that's why I, I like as much accountability as is as is uh, reasonable, uh, so that we can all know, and we can all be a part, and there's not one little funnel uh, that we operate by. So here's what I want here's what I want to challenge you for, okay. Um, I want us to go ahead and close our eyes and bow our heads. And in the stillness of, of this particular moment, I don't want you to ask yourself, how much money am I giving? That's, that's the wrong question. What I want to do is I want to ask you, what is getting in the way of your joy? You know, that's, that's really the point of, of what is it in your life that's robbing you of joy? Because if, you're, if your life is being robbed of joy, it's because you're being robbed of being able to see God first in all things. And if you're not seeing God first in all things, then it's a perpetual downhill motion from there. And financial giving is just one component of that. And I can just about... I can just about, of course, it's a huge umbrella, but I can just about guarantee you that the thing that robs our joy are the things of this world. Stresses, tensions, fear of provision, fear of loss, 
fear of, of, of not being able to make it on our own, fear of damage, fear of some kind of enemy, fear of a, uh, losing a job, fear of uh, some catastrophic illness or some catastrophic loss to a home or some, some, something that we'll fall off of that there's just no, no picking ourselves up. And it robs us of joy. And so we start working harder and we buckle down even more and we restrict ourselves. And the last thing we see is that God is good and that God is sovereign and that God is our provider and God is our healer and God is our, our everything. And when we fail to see it, our hands begin to shrivel up and clench and we make fists. But when we're able to see that God is good, we can live open-handed because we're living under an open heaven. So I say all of that to say this. I want you just to pray that God would do a work in your heart. I don't give this message because we're desperate. As a church, we have never been desperate. We will not be desperate. And I'm not giving this message to, to beat anybody up or to reprimand. I give this message simply because there are some folks that God has called to our church that has not heard this yet. And it's important for you to hear it because there are some blessings that we're forfeiting. And I want to benefit from some of your blessings and I want you to benefit from some of my blessings. So it's the only time in Scripture when God said, test me. And I've not always felt this way, but I'm going to ask you. I'll talk about me and my wife for just a second. Uh, and we have tithed our entire marriage. I've tithed, I've, I've tithed since my very first job. So when it comes to me trusting God when I tithe, I've never used that 10% on myself. It's easy for me. I've never depended on it. And so for those of you who may not be in the habit of tithing, 10% of an income is a lot. I get it. I really do get it. It takes more faith and trust for some people, especially when you're getting started. But this is why the Lord said, test me in this. And so I'm going to challenge you. For the next 90 days, just test him and just see. And I've, been, I've said twice, I don't want this to be a commercial. And I really don't. This is straight out of Scripture. But I'd say in, in 90 days, you need to reevaluate and say, all right, what, what am I, has, has the Lord proven himself to be faithful? And I just believe that he will. And I say this at a time when we are making budget. I'm not asking you to give more. I'm asking you to be blessed to be a blessing. Lord, today as we come to the end of this message, I just pray that with whatever grace is available for this type of a message, that you would apply it to our hearing. Uh, Lord, I know that there are many emotions that giving elicits. There's lots of different philosophies about giving and money and you know, what it should do and how it should work. And I, and I know all of that. But Lord, we are brothers and sisters and we are under your sovereignty. So Lord, I pray that you would unite us together, that we wouldn't, we wouldn't get lost in the weeds, 
but we would be we would be your glory first kind of people. And so help us to look beyond the end of our fingers and to be able to see are you being lifted up? Are you being exalted? Are we, are we being representatives of the vision that you have given our church and what is the vision of our church? And so, Lord, help us to accomplish what, well, just like you always have, help us to accomplish what you've called for us to do. And we're not under the law. There's not a compulsory giving. And so, Lord, we don't give because we have to. We don't give because we're berated or because we're belittled. We give because we want to live under an open heaven. We want to, we want to sow much so that we can reap much, so that we can give much, so that our eyes can be settled on your kingdom and not our own. So Lord, I pray that as we all collectively pray this morning, I pray that you would soften our hearts and help us to trust you. Help us to trust one another. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.